Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Ask older adults how they're doing, and a frequent comment is, I'm slowing down. In fact, older adults commonly struggle with diminishing ability to generate force and movement at a higher velocity, particularly in their legs. Studies indicate that muscle power correlates to a high degree with functional status, maybe even more so than the correlation of muscle strength or muscle mass to functional status. In other words, in the aging process, muscle power declines earlier and faster than does muscle strength. What all this means to physical therapist James Eng is that older adults, whether they're healthy or mobility impaired, can benefit from something called high-velocity training. It's sometimes abbreviated HVT and also is referred to as power training. To be clear, we're not talking about power lifting here, although James will argue that it's not a heavy lift to get any older adult on the road to better mobility by employing the techniques of HVT. Not only is it effective, he says, but in the hands of a skilled practitioner, it's very safe. So, let's get moving. Let's have James tell us more and share his advice for older adults and their families. So, James, we're here today to talk about something called high-velocity training, sometimes abbreviated as HVT or referred to as power training for older adults. Before we get to the, the uh, quote-unquote older adults part of it, uh, can you talk a little bit about what HVT is, its purpose, and, and what velocity and power have to do with each other in this context? High-velocity training, HVT, just simply means training muscles for fast movement. Most of our conventional strengthening programs at least for older people, usually focus on strengthening activities that are kind of slow, which is fine to build up muscle, but not so useful if we want to move quickly for certain functions. And that brings me to the meaning of power, which relates to movement and strengthening, but over a fast or shorter period of time. So, for example, if you pick up a weight that's heavy, you do it more slowly because it's heavy and you're displaying a high level of strength, but you're not doing so much power movement. But if you increase the speed of picking the weight, then your power goes up. But often you have to decrease the weight to pick up the speed more effectively. So that's important for older people who tend to move more slowly um, as they get older, and then they lose the ability to move fast. And, and you need to move fast for certain things like catching your balance while you walk. James, you gave a, a presentation at the American Physical Therapy Association's uh, combined sections meeting earlier this year that was titled put the fast back into fast twitch, adding power to the plan for older adults. There are a few things to unpack there, but first of all, what does fast twitch mean and, and what's happening in older adults that tends to, uh, quote-unquote, slow the twitch, if you will, in the first place? <laughs> That's great. So all of us have both fast twitch and slow twitch fibers in our muscles. And so, for example, take the leg muscles. Leg muscles tend to help you stand up and keep standing up, so they use slow-twitch fibers because you want to stand up for a long time. But leg muscles also have fast-twitch fibers in case you want to run, jump, walk really fast. So all of us have both slow-twitch and fast-twitch fibers, 
And the balance of the two is kind of based on what you do. So if you're a marathon runner, you probably have more slow-twitch fibers and fast-twitch fibers. If you're a sprinter, uh, you probably have more fast-twitch fibers, but you have both. Now, here's the thing. For older folks, we find that normally with older people, unfortunately, your muscle mass declines a bit as you get older. But we find that the fast-twitch fibers um, decrease more than the slow-twitch fibers. And so that that's relevant because we all know that, that older people tend to walk and move more slowly. Uh, some sources say that there's a 4% loss of power each year in older people versus a 2% loss. And, again, uh, that's because they're losing more of the fast-twitch fibers and the slow-twitch fibers. And, again, since power is important to move quickly, to, to um, uh, catch your balance, um, we think that, that we want to target keeping those fast-twitch fibers uh, when we work with older people. So is putting the fast uh, back in the, in the fast-twitch the, the same thing as HVT or power training, or, or, or are they related to each other? They're kind of the same thing. We're trying to target those fast-twitch fibers, as I said earlier, through high-velocity training or power training. And actually, it's probably a good idea just to mention that as we move on in this conversation, when I say high-velocity training or HVT, it's kind of the same as saying power training. Okay. Well, can you talk a little bit then about the HVT process for, for older adults and, and, and what's involved in it? Well, it depends on really the condition of the person. So as a physical therapist, if I see an individual who's more frail, um, pretty weak uh, as a result of a lot of maybe medical complexities, then I would probably start with some basic strength training that's slower just to get them stronger, get them to a, 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 a comfortable baseline. And then I might in, introduce some of the speed training. So, for example, if I have an older person who really has trouble getting out of the chair without using armrests, um, really needs the help uh, to, to get out of the chair, I might start with some basic hip and knee exercises at slower rates just to build up the muscle. Then once they get a little bit better at it, then I might start introducing um, activities at a higher speed. On the other hand, if, if I uh, have an older individual who's pretty healthy, you know, gets around pretty well, has a decent amount of strength, but we're noticing or he or she's noticing that, 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 that he's generally moving more slowly over time, then I might jump into some of the more fast-paced exercises right away. I actually have a young man who's 94 that, that, fits, that falls into this category. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of speed training. What roles do in intensity and duration of HVT uh, play in this process? Well, I, I suppose we should define intensity and duration. Okay. So in exercise, um, intensity usually refers to the level of effort that a person puts in or maybe how hard the person perceives the exercise. So if you have a higher intensity, usually that means you use much higher weights. You might use fewer repetitions. And, and so for um, a lot of younger people who are really interested in building bulk, they might use rather than a lighter weight, they might use a heavier weight, 25 or 30 pounds, and, and really exert themselves 10 repetitions. We find that for older folks, particularly those who have not been um, used to exercising their whole life, that might be a little bit too intimidating or aggressive. So we might focus on using 
lower weights, they're still challenging. It's got to have some degree of difficulty, but we wouldn't start with really, really high heavy weights. So therefore, our intensity is either moderate or a little bit lower than the kind of intensity that we often see in the gym with younger people. So that's intensity. And then by duration, we mean how long is the training program going to be? What will someone do a training program? Right. And what I mean by that is over weeks, over months, over years. So unfortunately, in, in the physical therapy healthcare model, insurance gives us a limited amount of time. You know, you, you work with a PT twice a week for six to eight weeks and you're done. But as with everything else, if you're done exercising, whatever gain you make goes away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we don't seem to have a problem with older people taking medications for the rest of their life, but why not do exercise for the rest of your life? So the research regarding intensity and duration tells us that moderate or lower intensity exercises are actually both effective for improving power and function. So we can use lighter weights as long as they're still challenging, and we might use maybe a little higher repetition, you know, 15 to 20 reps. But the patient or the the individual needs to find the exercise difficult towards the end of that repetition. But what's really important is how long they do it, how long they stay with it, the duration. So we need people after, if they are having physical therapy, after they're done in six, eight, ten weeks, they've got to stay with it. That's why a home program is so important. And they've got to stay with it basically for the rest of their lives. And the research shows that because changes occur in older people more slowly, that it's more important to keep it up over a long period of time because those changes, while you might not see them in the first month or so, they will occur, you know, slowly but surely over a longer period of time. So the duration is very important. So as you say, with the reimbursement model, the person is only going to be in physical therapy for a certain amount of time. So it's incumbent upon you to make sure that 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 person has all the facts and is encouraged to continue with this activity long after physical therapy, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of our biggest focuses now as as physical therapists and, and, and healthcare providers is that we do a lot of education. We do a lot of encouragement. We talk to our patients, but also our patients' family members, because the ultimate goal is to keep them doing those activities way after we see them as physical therapists. And then just as important for them to come back to us every couple of months just for, you know, a tune-up or, or an evaluation, just like you go to your dentist every couple of, you know, maybe once or twice a year for, for a checkup. Same thing with a physical therapist. Come in for your uh, mobility tune-up. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choose PT. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. Now, James, what's built into this process to ensure that uh, ensure safety for the, for the person who's, uh, who's doing these activities? Well, that's a good question. Um, we have 
safeguards. All, all physical therapists or all healthcare professionals have to have safeguards. Um, when we see someone who has never exercised before, then we've got to start with making sure we, we, we start with their movement. How are they moving? And we look at that, and if they're moving in ways that we think are unsafe, then we need to begin with telling them, this is what you do, and can you see how that could hurt you? And so before we launch into any exercises, we need to train them to, or at least work with them, to make sure that they're moving safely. So that's important. And then there are individual health factors that we have to look at. We have to ask what medical conditions they have, like diabetes or blood pressure, uh, asthma, it's important to ask about their medications. A lot of older people are on medications that are called beta blockers, which blunts their heart rate so that when they exercise, their heart rate kind of stays the same. And so we have to know that because if we don't see the heart rate go up, we have to know that it's either something due to medication or maybe there's actually something wrong. And then we always assess the vital signs like oxygen saturation, blood pressure, heart rate. So we look at all those things. We look at how strong their bones are. A lot of older women in particular have osteoporosis, so their bones are a little bit weaker. And uh, that doesn't mean that we don't exercise. In fact, exercise has been shown to improve bones. But we just have to be very cautious about that. You know, these are the safeguards that we all do with people who are older to make sure that what we actually wind up intervening with is safe. You had alluded earlier to uh, to the research. Is there a body of uh, evidence at this point that uh, that shows that HVT is effective uh, for older adults? There's actually quite a lot of research. My colleagues and I looked at something like 100 articles. There were some articles that were actually what they call meta-analysis or systematic reviews, and those articles looked at a bunch of studies. What's pretty clear is that high-velocity training or power training does effectively improve people's power, and, and it can be done using a variety of intensities. So you can do it at sort of a um, lower or moderate intensity, like I said earlier. The real problem with these studies is that most of them are targeted to older people who are fairly healthy, fairly normal community dwellers, and there aren't a whole lot of studies directed at people who are more frail. And unfortunately, that's the uh, population that needs the most. So what we've done is we've taken most of the literature and just applied it to our patients who are more frail. But, uh, yes, the, there's just a, a wide a body of, of research that says that power training is both effective, and actually power training is more effective to improve functional mobility than just straight conventional strength training. Why, to your mind, is there that, uh, that, that lack of research in the, uh, in, the, in the frailer population at this point? I think primarily because it's very difficult to do clinical research with patients. You know, patients are, are, are very um, complex. They have different medical comorbidities. So it's hard to get a lot of patients that kind of look alike to do the same thing, where it's easier to set up a study and, and say, you know, at, at a clinic or a university and say, we have this study. If you're interested in coming to participate, you know, please come. And, and that generally tends to attract more able-bodied and healthy people. Um, people who are a little more frail can't come to these studies. So then we have to be more creative or innovative in trying to collect data systematically on the patients we see. And, and, and many of us are trying to do this. So it's not like it's absent but it's just much more difficult.
have you personally witnessed the benefits of HBT in, in individuals with whom you've worked as a physical therapist? Yes, I, I have. Um, a, a number of my friends and I um, use these principles. Could you maybe share a few of those stories? Well, I'll share two. I, I, there's an 84-year-old gentleman whom we saw a while ago, and, and he lives by himself. He walks with a walker, has quite a lot of medical issues. But um, we put him on a power training program for about four months, and, and it was a, a, a program that it was doable for him. Uh, that is to say that, that you know, it didn't hurt him. He didn't find it too difficult. He did, a lot, he did need a lot of personal encouragement, and he made some good gains. So we saw that his walking speed uh, got faster, and he was able to uh, stand up from a sitting position um, more easily um, and faster. So um, to this day, he, he keeps up. We don't see him in physical therapy anymore, but we drop by to see how he does. And so that's one person that we think is a success. And then I mentioned this gentleman earlier, this 94-year-old friend of ours uh, who lives by himself in a two-story home. And we started working with him. He actually got physical therapy uh, a couple of months ago, and we've incorporated a lot of training, power training, in, in his uh, regimen. And he also has uh, shown uh, a faster speed in, in moving, sit to stand. But we're also seeing some changes in his balance, uh, his ability to maybe stand on one leg for a little while. So we've seen, these are two examples of this program or this protocol working. The thing I will say, though, is that it takes time. We see these changes over a number of months, not over a number of weeks. Which is, again, points to the, the fact that uh, this is something that they need to be engaged in uh, long after they've uh, first come to a physical therapist for help. Yes, absolutely. One last question. For, for listeners who, who may themselves be older adults who are struggling with uh, diminishing ability to generate force and movement, uh, particularly in their legs, or who have parents, grandparents, or other family members or friends who meet that description, James, what would you advise them to do, and, and who would you advise them to see, for instance, uh, is a physical therapist the person they should come to, or are there other healthcare professions that, uh, that could provide uh, assistance for them? Well, I'm a little biased since I'm a physical therapist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So my message has always been, if you're having any problem moving around, uh, if you're feeling any difficulty, or if your loved one, your, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather is experiencing any difficulty, please see a PT, because we are uh, movement specialists. This is what we do. In many cases, you don't need a physician's prescription, but it would make sense to consult your, your physician as well, uh, so the physician knows what we're doing. And, and we, will, we would love to see people who just have difficulty, don't really have any medical problems now, and we'll do a general functional mobility assessment. We'll just assess how you're moving and, and what difficulties you have. I guess my second message is don't wait for a fall or an incident. Mm -hmm. If you're having any difficulty, please see a PT because we're here not just to fix things that are broken, but in this day and age, we want to fix things before they break. So we want people to learn how to move safely, and we want to focus on moving them faster, and, and we can help you do that uh, as physical therapists. James Eng, thanks so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio. We appreciated it. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Eric. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. 
Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com.